Good morning. I hope everybody's well today. Um, happy Mother's Day. Mothers. You know, we mothers have to be so creative. We are presented with these weird, cute-looking humans without any directions, and we're supposed to turn them into giving, gracious, responsible members of our society. Never done it before? And the problem is, if anything goes wrong, we're to blame. Specifically, mothers. I'm sure you've heard this before from me, but those parents that are able, forget about saving up for your children's dream weddings. Be wise. Moms, listen up. When your kids grow up and realize what a shoddy job you've done and what a mess they are, you're certainly going to be blamed. It's your adult children's therapy that will empty your coffers. And if you've trained them well, they will certainly guilt you into contributing. So to prevent future therapy bills, we parents, especially mothers, do our best. We teach logic. If you fall off that swing and break your neck, you can forget about going for ice cream. We have a sense of humor. If you don't wear shoes and that lawnmower cuts off your toes, don't you come running to me. Religion is also something we always try, okay? You better pray that that spot gets off the rug. We instill fear of authority. I brought you into this world and I'll take you out. And then my most favorite expression, just do it because I said so. All kidding aside, we parents, without really understanding what we're doing, demand that our children trust us. <laughs> the all-knowing, all-powerful parent says to the child, I'm not going to explain this again. Okay, I'm done. I know better. Just do it. And really, that's called faith. We're demanding that our children have faith in us, whether we deserve it or not. We want our children to trust us. And perhaps that's where the trouble begins. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, on a day like today that honors mothers, I'd like to come to you, Lord, and ask for forgiveness for my shortcomings. I thank you, Lord, that you have honored us to be the amazing partners to give life to your children. But Lord, we've taken that honor and so many times we have dishonored it. So we mothers collectively here this morning ask for forgiveness because we have decided so many times to do it our way, to ignore what we know you want us to do, to do it our way. And Heavenly Father, I ask especially for me this morning that you take my, the noise that comes out of my mouth and would you turn it into wisdom, Holy Spirit? Would you turn it to something that will soothe a soul, that will encourage a soul, that will bring someone closer to you? Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so unbelievers talk about faith all the time. But really, faith in what? You ever ask them that? Faith in what? Okay? Fates, destiny, good luck, good genes. I mean, I really don't believe that it's actually faith, if you really think about it. It's really like a, a perfect game of Russian roulette, you know, the gun that has just the one bullet and you just, okay? This is how we live our lives. 
We hope to be loved, to have work, to have relationships that nurture us, to take vacations that are fun and rejuvenating, to gamble and win, to bungee jump, and to live to tell about it. We are convinced of these things. We get behind the wheel and we drive daily, convinced that we will arrive safely at our destination. Even though some of us juggle bagels, hot coffee, and iPhones while we drive with our knees. And some of us are pretty good at it. A couple days ago, I was on Fair Oaks, and a woman was trying to switch into my lane while she was putting on her mascara. Yikes. She was exhibiting serious faith that not only would she arrive safely, but she also would look good when she arrived. December 15, 2014, the LA Department of Traffic reported three million car accidents during one day of moderate rainfall, one inch. Californians, they don't know how to drive in the rain. With 16 million people in the area, that accounts for one in four people, 25% of the population who had an accident that day. I mean, why would you ever <laughs> go driving in California in the rain? Out of all situations in our lives, that need faith in someone powerful and conviction that things will work out, having babies needs the most faith. Because even if these babies survive the womb and childbirth, the perils of toddlerhood and adolescence, let's face it, our children will not always turn out the way we thought they would. Sometimes our babies exceed our expectations, and sometimes we just adjust our expectations to fit them. Reminds me of a joke. A father's anxiously pacing up and down the waiting room. And after what seems like an eternity, the nurse comes hesitatingly and she says, sir, um, would you like to see the baby? And he's like, yes, yes. So they go to the nursery and there's the baby swaddled up in blue cloth. And he's just waiting excitedly for that to be um, the reveal. And she's just, again, hesitating. She says, sir, I'm, I'm sorry, but something is not quite right. Well, what is it? What is it? Let me just see him. Let me just see him. So they open up the cloth, and there's his big ear. And he looks at the ear and says, my boy, what have they done to you? And the nurse says, could you speak up a little louder, sir? He's deaf. So the point of that is this. The point is we adjust everything, okay? We just keep adjusting and adjusting. Because that's what we want, okay? So as parents, we do that all the time. Sometimes we're completely blindsided by our children, and some of us become parents willy-nilly, and others of us with great trepidation. But no matter how our child has gotten here, if you're a parent, if you're a mother, even if you're not a parent, but you breathe and are alive, life without faith is exceedingly difficult. Matter of fact, life with faith it's exceedingly difficult. So can you imagine? So let's look at what scripture says about faith. Hebrews 11.1. 1. Faith is assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. What does that mean? Faith requires a different set of eyes. Ones that ignore what we actually see and where we actually are all around us to a mindset of what I hope is. And then courage to live on that faith. So this is what we're going to be talking about today. Faith and the courage that comes from faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So if you are a believer here, you have to have faith. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists, and that he rewards those that 
earnestly seek him. So this is what sets, sets us apart. Our faith is based on a living God, not any old God, but one that gives good things. One that rewards those that seek him. If we say we love God, well, we already believe he exists. It's a given. But I want you to check out that second part of the verse. We must believe that God is a giver of good things when we earnestly seek him. And what does that mean to earnestly seek God? What does that look like? And today our story is going to be about the birth of Moses. We find it in the beginning, the first chapter of Exodus. And it's a story of courage, courageous faith, faith that actually changed history. From these verses in Hebrews, we understand that courage is the outcome of faith in God. Faith that ignores the situation and focuses on God's goodness no matter what. So we have eyes and ears and we know what's going on around us. But faith requires something completely different. This story in Exodus is a story of faith and courage of two Egyptian midwives. The faith, courage, and creativity of Jochebed, the mother of Moses. And finally, the faith and compassion and incredible tenacity of a princess, Pharaoh's daughter. So the background is this. The Jews have come to Egypt 400 years before because of a great famine that was decimating their land. They had heard that a wise, powerful man in Egypt had anticipated this famine, and he had filled the Egyptian storehouses with grain. So Joseph, this wise man, saved his own people and the Egyptians. And Pharaoh was grateful. I mean, he, was, I mean, he saved the nation. And he offered Joseph's family to come and settle in Egypt. But there was a problem. Because Joseph's family, his brothers, his father, were shepherds. Okay? With shepherds. And sheep. And flocks. And the Egyptians had a really hard time with shepherds. They were like the bottom, the scum of the earth. So they couldn't feel comfortable bringing these this whole group, this whole tribe in close by. So they settled in the land of Goshen. Now, that might be a big deal. Land of Goshen. It was up in the north, a fertile crescent near the river, near the uh, Nile River. But it became a very good thing. And I want you to, when we read scripture, we pay attention to the details, and you realize that something that perhaps they thought was a negative, a snub, actually became a blessing. They were cut off from most of Egyptian culture. And they thrived and they remained true to their worship of Jehovah God, completely uninfluenced by the Egyptians. Do you think that that would have happened if Joseph's family had been embraced at court, had lived in close range to his polyethic worshipers? I don't think so. Do you ever wonder why you don't get what you want, what you think you deserve? And then hindsight shows you that what a gift God gave you by denying you what you think you deserved. Perhaps you were excluded from the popular crowd. You were denied entrance to your first college. You can't afford a car. You don't have a spouse. You don't have somebody, a friend. It's a funny thing. But I believe that many times we need to be wary when everything happens exactly as planned. For us believers, purity of heart, humility, patience, perseverance, strength of character does not happen on a sunny day but usually in the midst of storms. That's how faith works. You might not like the hand you've been given. Matter of fact, that hand might be breaking your heart. But you choose to believe that God is good, that he loves you, and he wants the best for you. Do you notice that verb, choose? 
you choose to trust in the Almighty and his goodness, and that no matter what, he is in control. You choose to believe with every fiber of your being that he is a good God. Because you put your faith in him, you have the courage to continue down that narrow path that Jesus talked about. 400 years later, a new pharaoh comes into power and forgets how Joseph had saved the Egyptians. All this pharaoh sees is that the Jews have thrived to such a point that they are an economic threat. They're spilling out of Goshen. And they're no longer just a bunch of shepherds. They had become a strong people. He wants to squelch their growth, and so he forces them into building historic cities. The more he afflicts them, the more they multiply and spread out. So Pharaoh forces the Jews into labor camps to build bricks for his grandiose development building plans. If the Jews didn't make their daily quotas, they'd be beaten. But brick making did not destroy them. They continued to multiply, the scripture says. So Pharaoh comes up with a diabolical plan. He rounds up the Egyptian midwives and he commands them to kill all the Hebrew baby boys that are born. Exodus 1, 15 to 21, tells us the story about the midwives. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it's a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They're vigorous, and they give birth before the midwives even arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives, the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Do you think that was easy for these Egyptian women? Pharaoh meant business, but you see, they feared God more than the power-hungry king. What did they know of God? They were Egyptian women. Probably what they learned when they went into the Hebrew homes to deliver babies. This God was powerful. This God did miracles. This God blessed them. This God had given this Joseph power and insight. And these women chose to believe God rather than the powerless gods of their own people. And the Egyptians had a lot of gods. Most likely they were mothers. And it was their job to deliver babies. How could they do this dastardly thing that Pharaoh asked of them? They couldn't do it. So their faith was in God because they knew which side their bread was buttered on. So do you guys realize that? Who has the real power? They feared God even though they could not see him over the visible wrath of Pharaoh. Their faith gave them courage, courage to disobey. The midwives told Pharaoh that these Hebrew women were vigorous and strong and delivered before midwives could reach them. Have you ever thought about the story? I wondered if God gave these Hebrew women easy deliveries, easy pregnancies. Before anybody knew it, those babies were coming out. Not much noise. Do you ever wonder how many times God invisibly helps you in times of trouble and you have no clue? And look at the mercy and grace given these midwives. God was good to them and established their homes. 
I don't really know what that means. Did their families survive like the other Egyptians from the 10th plague years later? Years later. 40, 80 years later. Their descendants. They were rewarded because they sought after God. And grace was poured all over them. God doesn't care. Egyptian, not Egyptian. Jew, not Jew. Okay? You fear God. Grace is poured all over you. Let's talk about Jochebed, the mother of Moses. What a horrible time to get pregnant. She already had two children, a 10-year-old girl and a three-year-old baby boy, Miriam and Aaron. I wonder how anxious she was over the possibility that the baby could be a boy and how afraid she must have been when she delivered a son. But she had choices. The obvious one was to abort the baby. But she didn't. She trusted God more than she feared Pharaoh. Hebrews 11.23 has a strange verse. It says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the edict. Isn't that funny? A beautiful child? What does that even mean? Hebrews tells us that Moses was a beautiful child. Well, God had gifted them with a healthy, beautiful son, God the giver of all good things. And think about it. What do you do when you have a good gift? When something is just perfect and it's been given you? We cherish it. We protect it. We trust God with it, right? And this is what they did, these parents. Parents, mom, listen to this. God has gifted us with a good thing. What will we do with this good gift? Trust the giver that he has not gifted you to harm you? but to bless you? Perhaps the fact that the baby was unusually beautiful spurred Jochebed on to be more creative than she normally might have been. Did she have a sense of how special he really was? Jochebed keeps Moses quiet for three months. Now, I've had colicky children. That's not an easy thing to do. What was she thinking during these three months? Did she pray for an answer, for a creative answer? How was she able to keep him quiet? What was next? How long could she keep him hidden? What happens when we have our backs against the wall? Are we filled with self-pity, anger towards God? Why has he put me in this position? Does the fact that we don't understand why these negative things are happening to us and our family cause us to question God's goodness? To take, perhaps, a fetal position on our bed? Or are we looking for answers? Like Abraham, the lamb in the thicket. You see, I believe that Abraham had to be looking around for an answer. And there the lamb was. I wonder as Jochebed walked by the crocodile-infested Nile, did she shiver with the fear that her beautiful baby boy might be discovered and thrown into those waters? Three months, a plan was hatched. I'm not sure if she picked up a new hobby or was she already a skilled basket weaver. It was a strange plan to place the baby in the exact place that she feared, in those Nile waters. Had she seen Pharaoh's daughter bathe in the waters before? Did she know the princess's schedule? And even if Jochebed knew the bathing schedule, why would the daughter of this murderous Pharaoh help her and her baby? That's not logical. How would that even work? Miriam, her 10-year-old, would hide amongst the reeds to see what would happen. I mean, what courage this 10-year-old had? 
maybe courage from her mom. And lo and behold, the enemy's daughter came to bathe in the exact spot. Now I want to talk a bit about Pharaoh's daughter. What was she like? Well, we don't know much about her, but I think we can assume quite a lot of things. She was privileged, she was wealthy, she was entitled, she was curious, powerful, she was independent. She sees the basket in the reeds and sends her maids to get it. See, she has power, she orders. Scripture tells us that Moses was crying and she immediately recognized him as a Hebrew child. And she had pity on the baby. Now, did Moses' beauty play a part? You bet it did, of course it did. Of course it did, you see how God works all these things. She fell in love with an enemy child against her father's wishes, she adopts him. Scripture does not tell us much about her, but she was rebellious and caring, and she had a keen sense of social justice. Miriam immediately comes out of the hiding place with great chutzpah. She comes right up to the princess and offers her mother's services as a wet nurse. The princess agrees right away. Jochebed comes and Pharaoh's daughter gives her the baby to nurse and pays her wages to nurse the baby. Now this is where the social justice comes in. Surely the princess could have commanded this Hebrew woman to come to the palace without wages to nurse the baby. But she was breaking away from the dysfunctional tyranny of her father. She was doing things differently. Did she understand that this had been a setup by a Hebrew mother and her adolescent daughter? Well, you know what, I'm pretty sure she did. She was an educated young woman, but she doesn't seem to care. She does what she feels is right, with courage, with dignity. This is the woman who raises Moses. He's given an Egyptian name by her, Moses to pull out or draw out of the water, is what his name means. We aren't exactly sure how long it took for Jochebed to wean this baby. What a gift she had been given. Her courage rewarded, but how bittersweet. Every month that went by was a day closer when she had to give him up. There was a bonding going on that she had to give up. Did she pray over him as, she suckled, as he suckled at her breast? Did she beg God to bless his life, to protect him? Did she sing Hebrew songs to him while Aaron and Miriam looked on? Her courage paid off, but not really. Jochebed would have nothing to do with this baby after he went to the palace. Would he even remember anything about her? Was she really going to deliver him to the place where that horrible despot resided? What would her baby actually call this murderous pharaoh? Grandfather? Jochebed, was it almost easier to look at the perilous Nile than think of the royal palace swallowing up your baby with all its polytheistic statues and ungodly, disgusting practices? According to Jewish tradition, there's a celebration when a child is weaned. There's a high infant mortality in the ancient world. So during the first year of a child's life, life is so-so. But the celebration says, when a child is weaned, come, celebrate with us. We have a child that has survived the most difficult stage of childhood and can now eat on his own. Weaning, maybe 18 months to five years of age. How hard was it for Jochebed to give her a child to this royal palace? Was she questioning the wisdom of God's providence? You saved this baby for this? How often do we do exactly the same thing? We feel God has not quite thought through his plan. You see how we take it back? 
Oh, you're God. But he's given us a child, but there are so many problems. The child is sick, perhaps, not smart enough, not obedient enough, too rebellious. I mean, it goes on and on and on. There's something wrong with what you've given us, God. Do you remember Hannah, Samuel's mom? She gave up little Samuel to the temple when he was about four years old. But what a different scenario. Samuel was raised in the temple, the place where the almighty God was worshipped. Jochebed left baby Moses at Pharaoh's palace. Would this young royal princess be able to protect him, love him the way he needed to be loved? We don't hear about Jochebed again, this creative mother. She most likely never knew who Moses became. Because when Moses came back, he was probably 80 years old. What Aaron became, she didn't know that he became the high priest, the first high priest. What Miriam became, that she was going to be this prophetess. As far as Jochebed knew, Moses had become an Egyptian, one of them. And I'm pretty sure she prayed for him, but that was it. Did she know how powerful her prayers were? Can we be a bit more like these women this morning? Can we take God his word and take inventory of our lives? Look to see what is good in your life and deeply understand and trust that when God says all good things come from our Father of lights. What is our role with these good things? To walk humbly, knowing that God is God and we're not. That's what humbly means, knowing that God is God and we're not. Do we have the faith and courage to listen to God and to do what is right, even when reality is so wrong? Do we realize that we're all part of the big picture, much bigger than us? Mothers, you have children, and all you see is yesterday and today. But the tomorrow needs faith. It needs courage to act in faith. And I challenge each one of us this morning to seek out what God wants from us. Like the midwives, it might be to take compassion on someone and refuse to do what society dictates, trusting God with the outcome. Like Jochebed, you might have your back against the wall and you need to just trust God with what he has given you, blindly, without the luxury of knowing the future, and be faithfully courageous. Or like the daughter of Pharaoh, you have the courage to protect and love and nurture and to break dysfunctional cycles. Take courage and have faith in the good God, who is good all the time. Have courage to act righteously. Have courage to wait on God. Have courage especially when tomorrow is scary and unknown. And I'd like us to spend a few minutes to think about that today. Think about your life. Think about where God has brought you today. And think about the good things. There are good things in all our lives. And what does God want us to do? To trust him that he is a good God, that he has given us those good things, and to act courageously. Sometimes it means to just wait. And sometimes it means to act against society. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, this morning that you give us eyes that see other things besides what's around us. Ears to hear you working around us, Lord. We want to join you. We want to trust you, Heavenly Father. Help us in our faith. Make us stronger 
Help us to, to be stronger in our faith, Lord, and to give us courage to be who we need to be. Help us understand, Lord, that we are part of a big picture and that you use it all. We thank you. We thank you. Thank you for these mothers that are sitting here. I thank you for the spiritual mothers that are sitting here. I thank you for the aunties. I thank you for every person in this room who has guided and mentored someone and understood that it's so much more than that single issue, single thing. We thank you, Lord. Praise you. In Jesus' name, amen.